This is Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and welcome to the first episode of this new podcast, The Comical Heathen. The Comical Heathen is the only podcast to explore the art and craft of religious satire. Every episode will feature an interview with a comedian or some other interesting person on the topic of religious satire. This is our very first episode, and we are excited to have as our very first guest, Steve Hofstetter. But before I get to that interview, I wanted to take a minute and give you a quick insight into the why of this podcast. I mean, there are already a lot of podcasts on the topic of comedy, plus a whole bunch on the topic of religion. But The Comical Heathen is the only podcast on this specific topic, religious satire. I started studying satire a few years ago when I noticed that there seemed to be an increase in religious satire following September 11th. I observed that some comedians were using the tools of comedy to process the attacks, and in some cases to fight back. Some corners of stand-up comedy seem to be going out of their way to respond to religious extremism with rationality and wit. Comedians like Bill Maher, Eddie Izzard, and Mark Maron, among others, seem to be part of a broader movement that has since been labeled the New Atheism, joining the voices of noted intellectuals such as Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. Some comedians or comic writers were using their skills and talents and humor to address the place of religion in post-September 11th culture. Oh, and of course, religious satire obviously predates September 11. It goes back thousands of years to the Greeks, found in writers such as Aristophanes and Shakespeare. But my focus is on the role of comedy and stand-up comedy in this post-September 11th world of new atheism. Meanwhile, while researching the themes and examples of this book, I myself am also a stand-up comedian. I travel and perform in clubs and venues around the country. I finally realized that through my experiences doing stand-up comedy, I actually meet with and interact with a lot of comedians. And maybe it would be useful for my book to interview some of them. Well, if I'm going to interview these interesting people on this interesting topic, I realized that if I recorded some of these conversations, that other people might find them interesting or rewarding to listen to also. And that is the journey that leads us here to this new podcast, The Comical Heathen. So thank you for listening to this, the very first episode. Our guest in today's interview is Steve Hofstetter. Steve Hofstetter is a YouTube sensation. His videos of him destroying hecklers have had over 60 million views. He is also known as the original host and executive producer of Fox's Laughs. He is a comic road warrior doing hundreds of shows every year. While I was very thrilled to get this road warrior as he passed through Northeast Ohio to do a show I produce in Mentor, Ohio at Toth's Place. After the show was over, he kindly agreed to sit down with me for a few minutes and to discuss religious satire. To give you a preview of some of the things you're about to hear about, when I brought up the topic of religious satire, the very first thing Steve said was the word necessary. And I'll let him explain why. We also talked about his experiences producing laughs for Fox and his experiences as a guest on Fox and Friends. Steve, like your humble host here today, is also Jewish so I asked him whether or not he thinks there's such a thing as a Jewish sense of humor. In fact, 
Steve, you may or may not know, went to the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City, although he did leave before completing, and I'll let him explain why and what experiences he got out of that. He tells a very interesting, if not slightly disturbing, story about crossing paths with some card-carrying KKK members at a show one time, and when I asked him whether or not he thought there was any change or participation in comedy after September 11th, he had some very definite opinions about that. So that is what you can expect to hear on this upcoming interview. Welcome to today's episode of The Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, as I continue my quest for knowledge and insight into the world of religious satire. I'm so thrilled today to be joined by comedian Steve Hofstetter, who's known for having over 50 million views on YouTube. Hello. Hello, Steve. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for sitting down with me for a few minutes. Sure. Uh, what I do here is I invite uh, guests and interesting people on, and we talk about religious satire for a few minutes. For you, when you just hear the phrase religious satire, what's the first thing that occurs to you? Necessary. Is it necessary? Absolutely, it's necessary. In what ways? In the way that there are some religious people who use religion as an excuse to do heinous things. Okay. And I think you need to have a sense of humor about it. Okay. You know, I grew up I grew up as a religious person. I grew okay. up as a observant conservative Jew. Uh, Judaism being the only realm where the word conservative means more liberal. Indeed. <laughs> uh, but it's conservative as, as compared to reform. Right. Uh, you know, I grew up... And what's the most conservative level usually referred to as? Uh, orthodox. Orthodox. Okay, yeah. So our non-Jewish friends have caught up that there's yeah there's general three three main levels <laughs> and there's reconstructionists <laughs> yeah, and there's so. modern orthodox and okay. you know there's you know Jews for Jesus otherwise known as Christians but <laughs> yes. uh, and there's there's lots of different levels but those are the three main sure anyway so conservative is you know somewhere in the middle right. I grew up going to synagogue every Saturday morning I went to Hebrew school for five years okay I even did two and a half years at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And the more and more I learned about religion, and the more and more I met religious people, the more and more I realized I wasn't one of them. Okay. And that's why I kind of got pushed away from it. That sounds like you were half a year away from finishing. Uh, well, two and a half years is uh, it was college, it was undergrad. Okay, so it could so be a full a year, year and a half. Program? Yeah. Okay. I actually so the Jewish Theological Seminary has a joint program with Columbia. Okay. And I basically went there. I was interested in it, mm -hmm. and, you know, some of my social circle had gone. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a way for me to go to Columbia for almost free. All right. And, you know, we always refer to it as the back door. Okay. And then two and a half years in, I I couldn't stand it. Okay. And I, I left for a year to work mm -hmm. um, to be a sports writer. And then I came back just to Columbia doing that cost me $58,000 okay. because when I left, I gave up my scholarship Okay. and I just went back and that is how much I did not want to be a JTS anymore. Okay. That when I was a broke 20 year old, right. I paid $58,000 <laughs> to not have to go there anymore. For the people who finish the program, how many of them go into a religious vocation? A lot of them do. Um, a lot of them became, become rabbis, okay. uh, cantors, teachers. Okay. Uh, I'd say it's probably probably 50-50. Okay. I mean, it's it's a pure guess. Sure. But it's a small program. Right. 
So 50-50 might mean eight. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's not that small, right. but it's close. Well, there's a local uh, open mic comedian, just a friend of mine, who did his master's mm-hmm. degree at a seminary uh, of the Christian variety, and it also ended his interest in religion. Like, by the time he finished that degree, he sort of felt like he knew too much. That's exactly <laughs> the phrase I use. You know, I, I, say, that, I say that I know too much. Okay. You know, there, there, was a, there was one class I was in. I was in a Bible class. Okay. And they were teaching the theory of the chronicler which is basically that, you know, there was this specific person who wrote the Bible. Okay. Uh, and it was oral tradition before then. Right. And so the chronicler was one of the people who wrote down everything into what is now commonly known as the Old Testament. Okay. So she's going through this whole thing about like, you know, oh, why do you think the chronicler chose to include this passage? Right. And I raised my hand and I said, can we explore the idea that mm-hmm. God wanted him to? Right. To which she said... Uh, God does not have a place in this classroom. To which okay. I said, I think you might be in the wrong classroom. <laughs> and she didn't appreciate that. It was just a weird, it was a really weird mm-hmm. environment where some people, everyone was teaching their version of the religion. And some people were teaching this strict Talmudic interpretation, Talmudic right. interpretation. And some people were teaching almost like an atheist guide to the Bible. Sure. And it, it was just... And you would get graded according to what your teacher believed. Okay. And I started realizing, like, oh, this is all pick and choose. Right. There's no strict, this is what it is. Everybody looks at it differently. And how the hell can you learn that? Right. If there's not a right answer, then it's not a right answer. It's two plus two is, what do you feel it is? Depends on the teacher's theory of math that day. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it depends on who you happen to draw. Sure. On your syllabus, so I kind of I kind of got out of it, um, and I use I'm very culturally Jewish still. Okay, um, but I'm not really observant anymore. For right. a very long time, you know, I did all the holidays, sure. all you know, everything. Um, for two years, in my last two years of high school, my junior and senior year of high school, I was the term you know Shomer Shabbat, mm-hmm. which is no electricity, right. uh, you know, or fun uh, <laughs> on Shabbat, and. Oh, what a great Which time! Is Friday night, Friday night through right. Saturday. I forget we're in Ohio. Yes. Um, you, you, and me account for about fifty percent of the Jewish population in Ohio. Yeah. As we're having this conversation. Every time, every time I come in, they throw a party, <laughs> uh, unless it's on a Friday. But they, uh, you know, what a great time to stay in and not have friends. Your junior yes. and senior year of, of high yes. school, and I just kind of, as I grew up, I, I grew past it. And there's this there's sure. this joke that I desperately want to do in my act. I've tried it on stage a couple of times and it doesn't work yet. And I think that's because I haven't found my audience yet. Okay. Like it'll start to work when the majority of the room is mm-hmm. are my people. Sure. And who understand what I mean by it. It's not who agree with me, right. but it's who understand my perspective and know where right. I'm coming from. I I believe that there is great beauty in religion. Okay. It's often not used that way. Okay. And that's what I'm lampooning. Sure. So the the basic joke is, you know, I I was thinking about the song Imagine um, and what John Lennon meant by that. And there's that line, imagine no religion. Yes. And most people just kind of gloss over that and it really got to me. And I started thinking about what would it be like if there were no religion? Sure. You know, what would it be like if all the real estate that we have given to churches and synagogues and mosques sure. 
was instead given to schools. Right. And what if all the money that we've donated to religious causes mm -hmm. was instead used for hospitals? Right. And what if all of the time that we've spent memorizing scripture right. was used to learn a little bit something more about the person sitting next to us? Right. And then I pause for a while and then I go, I'm kidding. It's the best. <laughs> and, and I just, I can't, I, I've tried and I can't get away with that joke. And I, right. I mean, I've tried tweaking it a couple times, but, but the point it, it's, I want to make that point more than I want the laughter. Well, you are the um, epitome of the road warrior. You do hundreds of shows. You'll go anywhere to do a show. Mm -hmm. You're planning a tour next year to go to as many places all over the world as possible. 52 countries. What, what do you make of just the general, again, I don't know how true it is, but it's the cliche that when you're on the road, you can't do topics like religion because of the danger of losing the audience. I think that I think that that is a wussy perspective. Okay. And I think if you do a cheap joke about religion, okay, you will lose the audience. Right. I did and it's true with politics. Like I did a uh they called it the Blue Stater comedy tour. Okay. <laughs> and this was like 05, 06 maybe mm -hmm. or maybe it was closer to 08. But anyway, the point is that it was, you know, during the Bush administration. Okay. And Tom Simmons was one of the other comics on it. And he's brilliant and has amazing bits about religion and politics. And he would crush and it would be great. Right. And there was another comic who did a show where basically he was like, George Bush is so stupid. He's so right. stupid. Right. Which, I mean, A, no, he's not. Right. He might be stupid as compared to some other presidents. Right. But he's way smarter than you are. Right. And B or two, I don't remember if I said A right. or one before, <laughs> but it's cheap. Right. It's easy and it didn't even work with that crowd. Right. So if you're rabble rousing and right. you, if your bit would only work in a coffee house in Brooklyn, right. it's a garbage bit. Okay. So what you have to do is you have to figure out how to strengthen it. Right. And how to, how to make it work. I did, I used to do this joke mm -hmm. about... I used to do a Catholic priest joke. I did much more religion in my early stuff, now that I'm okay. thinking about it. I used to do a Catholic priest joke. I debuted it at a Catholic school. Okay. Now, I did that because I wrote the joke on the way to the school, and I didn't know it was a Catholic school, and they told me it was a Catholic school, but I was so excited to do this new joke. It's like sure. a new toy. And it was about uh, Catholic priests. Mm -hmm. And what I said was, you know, I want to talk about the Catholic priest thing. I said, see, the very nature that all I have to say is the Catholic priest thing, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, shows that there's an inherent problem. Right. Like, no one was thinking that I was going to talk about the robes. Right. You know, they're, they're just too long and weird. <laughs> I said, the, the problem is with the theology. When you get molested, you have to go to confession. Right. And so then, what do you do? Forgive me, Father, for I have... Oh, hell, it's you. <laughs> well, I guess I don't have to tell you what happened. You saw the whole thing. I didn't even see it. My back was turned. Are we going to keep doing this? Confess, molest, confess, molest, confess, molest. At least punch a card. Give me an ice cream cone on my 10th visit. Yes. Although that's how this started. Touche, father. Touche. <laughs> now, that is, a, that is the dirtiest <laughs> clean joke I know. Sure. Because that is a joke about anal rape. Yes. But it was completely clean. Right. But, uh, haha, but anyway, 
However, <laughs> it definitely offended people. Okay. And it was something that as soon as I got that onto an album, I stopped telling it. Okay. Because it would get me into trouble. But it wasn't the road necessarily as it was individual crowds. Okay. And that's the harshest joke I think I've ever done. I mean, that is a very, very ooh soliciting right. joke. Sure. But it wasn't like, oh, it's the road. It was this individual crowd is filled with a number of people who are right. not with me. Right. There's another... The cliche that circles around comedy, um, there's some statistics that back this up to some degree, but I thought I'd ask you, do you think there's something to the idea of a Jewish sense of humor? Absolutely. Uh, but... uh, and it's it's not statistics, It's that's also theology. Okay. Um, there is a popular story in Jewish lore about a famous rabbi, the Rabbi Baal Shem Tov. Okay. And... At one point, he was asked why he thinks humor is important. And he said, when I see a child laugh, I see the face of God. Okay. And it is, I believe that's where the tradition stems from. Okay. I don't know if it stems from further back than that, but Purim is a holiday. Sure. Where your rabbi is supposed to go up and be completely silly. Right. Do you know of a holiday where a priest <laughs> is supposed to wear a costume sure. and make funny noises? Sure. And, you know, I mean, that's what, and that's what Purim is. So in the religion itself, there's right. a tradition. And then in being oppressed, there's a tradition. Okay. Because a lifetime of tragedy begets humor. Humor is a defense mechanism. Okay. And so the, oh, it could be worse <laughs> sure. comes from that. And, and this is not to say that Jews are better at comedy. Okay. It's to say it's more common. Right. And not only that, but there are a number of cultures that pride hard work. Okay. You know, that is, it's common in Judaism. It's also common in a lot of Asian cultures. Sure. It's, you know, it's certainly common in Indian cultures. You know, the idea of no son of mine will be X. Right. You know, you hear that yes. a lot. But in Judaism, because the Catskills was so popular, Yes. And because there was, you know, a Jackie Mason so early. Yes. That it was very easy for a Jewish mother, Jewish mm. father, to say, oh, you know, my son's a comedian. Right. Like Jackie Mason. Right. And, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld, like, you know, or whatever generation it's been. Sure. But it, it becomes much easier to be something proud of because right. the rest of the culture already knows it. Right. So I think those things add up. Sure. Well, in our earlier, say, to the vaudeville era, mm -hmm. not only were there a lot of great Jewish entertainers, such as the Marx Brothers, but others, but their generation was raised on ethnic Jewish theater in New York and other urban Absolutely. environments, which I think also create a place where entertainers are being not only uh, trained, but admired. And, and not only that, but... You know, to be an entertainer is to be in the fringe of society. Right. And Jews were pushed to the fringe of society. Sure. There were other jobs that people wouldn't hire them for. Right. So when you've got a choice between that or unemployment, you become an entertainer, <laughs> uh, which is actually the quickest way to unemployment. But, you know, it's the same way that, like, the Jewish stereotype of, oh, Jews, are, Jews love money. It's like, you made us be bankers. Right. You yes. forced us against our will yes. to handle your money. And then you're like, look at them handling our money. It's yeah. like, well, you did that. Yes. So, I, you know, I think, I, think, uh, I think a lot of it stems from that. Do you sometimes talk about 
either being Jewish or Jewish culture on stage. Absolutely. Um, I do a lot of Jewish gigs. And the reason I get those gigs, you know, synagogues, Hillel's, all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff like that, is because there are a lot of Jewish comedians on that circuit who do an hour of Passover jokes. Okay. That's not what I do. Right. Um, I do jokes from a Jewish perspective. Okay. I... I have jokes where I mention being Jewish okay. and where, you know, I, I talk about, you know, I joke about the stereotypes I had to face when sure. I was growing up. And one of my first ever jokes was about that. But mainly, I'm just, that's the life that has informed my comedy. Right. And so I think a lot of what I, mm-hmm. a lot of how I come at the world is from the perspective of some kid who grew up Jewish in New York. You once told a story, I've seen it in one of your famous videos, mm-hmm. one of your numerous and famous videos, of accidentally taking a gig for a KKK group. Well, it wasn't a KKK group, but there were members of the KKK at the bar where I performed. Okay. So, yeah, I this was in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and it was just a one-nighter. Okay. And, God, this had to be, oh, no, I already had the tour van, so this must have been oh <laughs> six or oh seven. Okay. Yeah, just it was oh, it was gross. Um, I don't know how much you want me to go into the story. Well, but... I just bring it up if you to see if you think you want to talk about it. We don't have to go into it that much. Sure. I, I, I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about telling because the whole story takes a long time to tell okay. the the on stage version of it anyway. But. Um, I mean, the main joke I do about it is that they were card-carrying members of the right. KKK. Like, they showed us that they had membership <laughs> cards. And to me, I'm like, why do you need membership cards in an anonymous organization? Yes. We were just like, don't look at my face. Here's my face. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, then the joke becomes, uh, you know, what do they get 10% off of the dry cleaner with that? <laughs> you know? I mean, because they do a lot of laundry. You got to figure their whole life is like, because all the sheets, you know, it's hatred and laundry and laundry and hatred. They probably hate doing laundry. They're just spending their whole life separating the whites from the colors. Uh, and then, like, you know, these colors don't run. Well, some of them do, but we get them. Anyway. So, there, and there's a lot to right. the story. But, sure. you know, part of the story, the, the crux of it, is that, and this is the reality of it, not the humor of it, is that I I didn't do my act that night. Right. Because I was, I was more concerned for my safety. Okay. And so I just went up and, you know, men and women are different and so are cats and dogs and airplanes have the tiniest peanuts. Right. And I just, I did a bunch of just garbage, hacky crap. Right. And I got out of there alive. <laughs> well, we're all glad you got out of there alive. I appreciate that. This podcast would have been weird if I wasn't. <laughs> I still would have attempted it, but it would definitely have been mm-hmm. weird. You're also known for your um, involvement in Fox's lab. Mm-hmm. Could, could you say in a sentence, what do you do for laughs? Like, let the listener know what's your role in that. I love, I'm really glad, by the way, that you brought it up in context. Because if you just said, what do you do for laughs? I would have been like, anything. <laughs> um, so, Laughs is a show that airs on Fox stations across the country. It's a syndicated show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it airs at different times in different markets. Um, I was the original host and executive producer. So, mm-hmm. I got the show off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I made it into a reality basically mm-hmm. I hired a bunch of people I helped curate content for it and mm-hmm. hire the comedians and you know was the liaison to the network and all that other stuff and uh, now I'm a consulting producer because I've moved on to other projects okay. um, but it was a 
defining point in my career and a, a life-changing moment in time for me. And not only that, you know, Laughs is responsible for the television debuts of hundreds of comedians. Yes. And that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of. Okay, excellent. To bring it back to the comical heathen in our conversation sure. here, as the curator of the show, uh, you know, having a, a hand in selecting the clips that would be shown, Yeah. Uh, how did you uh, juggle or approach satire, religious satire, or material like that, or did it come up? Funny is funny, and to me, the darker the better. Okay. Now, that's my taste. Yeah. Now, it helped that we were on late. Okay. Uh, it helped that we were on too late to even have sponsors. We were, <laughs> you know, the earliest we would be on was 11. Okay. Uh, we were typically up against SNL or came on right after it, mm-hmm. depending on the market and depending on college football that week. Okay. So... <laughs> We were able to get away with a lot more, okay. which was wonderful. Because I believe comedy's job is to push the envelope. Okay. There's a great quote from Bill Hicks. Uh, mm-hmm. The comedian says, wait a minute, as the consensus forms. Okay. And I, I highly believe that. So okay. what I would do is, you know, and this was uh, with Dane Hansen, who was, uh, who was the producer of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, he would, he knew my sense of humor and he knew what I liked. And he would, you know, select clips fairly accordingly and we would submit it to the bosses upstairs <laughs> and then every now and then they would say no sometimes they said no to stuff that we couldn't predict like there was there was a joke that loosely was about it was about school shooting drills okay and not about school shootings right but about the drills that because it was someone who used to be a teacher right and they said no they don't want people thinking of school shootings right but then there would be just the there would be stuff about like someone you know going down on their girlfriend and they were fine with that and i was like what um but there was i don't think there was ever a pushback when it came to religion okay and it's it's weird because fox is a very uh i guess two-headed hydra of a company when it comes to politics because you've got fox news which is responsible for all of the evil in the world right agreed and then you've also got some of the most subversive comedy of all time coming out of Fox. You've got The Simpsons, Married yes. with Children, Family Guy. Hell, they used to show Benny Hill in America. Yes. And that's the same company. Right. So sometimes when people would, would talk to me about that and, you know, would complain about that, you know, on my social media or whatever, right. be like, I can't believe you're working for Fox. And I was like, I don't think you understand the department I'm working for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm working for the people who right. who are trying to nullify what the other people okay. are doing. It was weird when they had me go on Fox and Friends to promote the show. Okay. That was difficult. Okay. Um, what at, was that like? At one point, one of the guys tried to get political, and I just steamrolled it and okay. just kept doing material. Okay. <laughs> and uh, one of them liked me and wanted me to go on their podcast, which gets right. listened to. Like They have like a million listeners. Right. And so. I was like, I can't. Uh. Because <laughs> I can do seven minutes on a morning show okay. and suck it up. And not attack them. I mean, I sure. would respond if they were to say something. But, you right. know, they kept it on on task for the most part. But if I was on there for an hour, right. it would not have been pleasant. Yeah, to be you. <laughs> it, would not, it would not have been pleasant. And I, uh, I'm i a big believer in truth in comedy. Okay. And I wouldn't have been able to... Right. I wouldn't have been able to do an hour without <laughs> just being like, why are you evil? <laughs> Justify your existence. Yeah, now. exactly. As we... Uh, uh, thank you for uh, talking to me today. As we sure. move towards an end, 
Yeah. Just, um, I like to end with this very generic question. Is there an afterlife to this podcast? <laughs> I'm still trying to find a forelife for this podcast. <laughs> so I just, uh, you know, uh, end the topic of religious satire. Is there anything that hasn't come up that you just like to share? Just um, hasn't come up on this podcast yeah, just or in like this it, world? You mean? No, in our conversation. Um, Influences, sure. ideas, favorite jokes, um, opinions. Just there are in this day and age, there are still people who will murder someone for mm-hmm. religious satire. Sure. Obviously, I'm talking about yeah. Charlie Hebdo and yeah, that, that sort of thing. And that's disgusting. It's, I mean, murder's disgusting and yes. however it's justified, but the idea that, and it's not a, oh, take a joke, it's not that. Right. It's be accepting that someone else has an idea different than yours. Right. You can hate them. Right. You can yell at them, you can complain, but you don't hurt them. Right. And there is no religion that teaches otherwise. Right. And those who say, well, the Quran, no, you've never read it, shut up. Right. It doesn't say that ever. Right. It doesn't say that. The New Testament doesn't say it, and the Old Testament doesn't say it, and nothing says it. And so until this world can get to the point sure. where religious satire doesn't matter, right? then it really, really does. Yeah. Uh, well put, I found um, one thing that motivated my interest in re- doing more research is Religious satire is ancient. It goes back to the Greeks and back to Shakespeare mm-hmm. uh, and to Bill Hicks and George Carlin and etc. But I do feel like post September 11th, there are some comedians, whether it's consciously or part of a zeitgeist, that like made it important. Like talking about religion through comedy was part of the post 9/11 culture. It's possible. I think maybe we just noticed it more. Okay. You know, I mean, Bill Maher was on his anti-religion kick before then. Sure. And I, I actually, and that's the thing. I don't think nine eleven was religious at all. Sure. I think it was someone. I think it was people in power using religion to subjugate people and trick them into yes. something like that. Right. And that's actually most of it. If you look at, if you look at, you know, in the Muslim world, for instance, mm-hmm. in the countries that most espouse religion the leaders are having orgies right and (laughs) you know and are billionaires and are you know i mean greed and gluttony you know it's every sin in every major religion it's just a way to get people to fall in line it's a way to discipline people and it's a way to scare people well you can't do this why because the spirit said so and that's what I think pushes me away from religion. Sure. Comedy is a way to undiscipline people and push back. Well, my stand-up has always, the main tenet of my stand-up, whatever I'm talking about, mm-hmm. has always attempted at least to be anti-status quo. Okay. And agree with me or disagree with me. The only thing I want you to agree with me is that you need to think for yourself. Okay. And my favorite compliment after a show is... Man, I didn't I didn't agree with anything you said, but boy, were you funny. <laughs> because that I just got someone to listen who wasn't going to listen. Right. And you know, going back to what I said earlier, a good joke is funny in a farmhouse in Iowa or in a coffee house in Brooklyn. Right. Because a good joke is a good joke, no matter who you tell it to. You know, and comics who only go in one direction, you know, they're not they're not doing their job. Um, I think 
stand-up is the least censored art form. Right. And it will be the last art form that is censored. Once stand-up gets censored, okay. it's over. Okay. The battle is over, and we've lost. Okay. So did 9-11 influence religion, religious comedy? I'm sure it did in a way. But I think it's always been important. Right. And I hope, I, I hope of all hopes that one day it won't be. Okay. Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for doing this conversation with me, and I appreciate all of your you know, thoughts and insights. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a great conversation. This is your host again, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and I really enjoyed that. I love Steve's humor, hilarious, but in an insightful kind of way. I found his comments about Jewish humor really compelling, and what a crazy story about meeting those card-carrying KKK members. Before we finish up today, I'd like to make a quick trip over to the rabbit hutch. You see, me and my wife are rabbit enthusiasts, and we keep some beautiful rabbits. And I've noticed that one of the last uses for old-fashioned paper newspapers is lining the bottom of rabbit cages. That's what we do. And a funny thing happens while doing that. I come across a lot of headlines. It's like I've gone back to reading the newspaper, but only at the bottom of rabbit cages. And there's one type of headline that really stands out to me. I see a lot of historical and factual misinformation out there about religion in newspapers and other news because of the way most reporters treat stories about religion as soft journalism. And because of that, without even doing too much digging, you can find a lot of actual either questionable or indeed factual errors in some reporting on religion. Whenever I find any examples of these, I have to set the record straight, because it's good for our souls to know things. And so, I'd like to pull a headline out of the bottom of the rabbit hutch. We have two beautiful Holland Lops. Newton is the younger. He's a chocolate Lop, dark brown with black and brown shading, and our older rabbit is called Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon is not named after the actor Kevin Bacon. Perhaps in a future episode, I'll explain what or who Kevin Bacon is named after. But I see underneath their big rabbit feet a headline from Newsweek, and this is what the headline says. After 200 years, Jesus' tomb is getting an upgrade. Now I saw that headline, and an immediate red flag went off. It says in black and white, Jesus' tomb. But I just know that can't be right. If we knew with certainty where Jesus' tomb was, it would be the most important site on earth. We'd all know. It reminds me of those pictures you see online sometimes, claiming to be the world's largest fighter, and then it's as big as a door. I knew that photo was fake immediately, because if there were five-foot spiders on the world, I'd know it. So I just knew that a headline saying, Jesus' tomb is getting an upgrade, could not be technically correct. And to be sure, if you read a few sentences into the article, the reporter here uses the phrase, and I quote, An ancient chamber in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem's old city, which several Christian denominations believe to be built above the site where the body of Jesus was anointed, wrapped, and buried. So that's slightly different. By the way, it is a beautiful old building, and the renovations look fascinating. 
National Geographic as covering the renovations, and I'll include a link for you to look it up. Anyway, this made me curious. So I just did a quick Google search of places that some people claim to be Jesus' tomb, and according to Wikipedia, there are at least five. Of course, no one is really certain, as there's no conclusive archaeological or historical evidence. Now, in fact, right in the vicinity of Jerusalem, there are three separate locations. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Garden Tomb, and the Talpiat Tomb, which different sects or groups identify as a possible burial place of Jesus. And there's not really any meaningful archaeological evidence to favor one over the others. They're more like traditional or symbolic locations. After these three, the list gets even more interesting, as the fourth possible location is located in Kashmir, in the region of India. This brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, Thank you, come again, as we've been waiting for over 2,000 years for a certain someone to come again. And besides that, there's a fifth location called the Tomb of Jesus Christ, or, as it is also called, Kiristo no Haka in Japan. Yes, there's a site in Japan which is identified by some as the final resting place of Jesus. It is on the northern end of the main island of Honshu, in a prefecture called Aomori, and it is considered a local attraction, the Tomb of Jesus, or as you might say in Japanese, Kiristo no Haka. The legend is that Jesus' body was carried here and displayed sometime after his death. Now, of course, logic and rationality would suggest that it is very unlikely that the final resting place of any potentially historical Jesus would be in Japan. Nowhere in the Gospels do they mention sushi or geisha. But the fact that this claim can be made in the context of there being at least five locations listed as potential final resting places just show us how uncertain we are historically about the biographical details of a potentially historical Jesus. Of course, all these little musings are inspired by the headline, Jesus' tomb is getting an upgrade. And that is what I found underneath the feet of Kevin and Newton, the bottom of the rabbit hutch. Since I consider misinformation a sin, I call this misinformation. Whenever I see examples of misinformation, I have to speak out. Hey, I'm not trying to ruin anybody else's good time. But it's not about your dogma, it's my karma. And I'm all about spreading the love. Having said that, it just remains for me to thank Steve Hofstetter for being our very first guest on The Comical Heathen. I want to thank you for listening to this, our first episode. I hope you'll join us again. I want to thank Kevin and Newton for inspiring me to continue to read newspaper headlines. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to explain that the lovely Bach organ music you hear during the show is played by my friend Mark Bell. He is playing various Bach tunes on a famous Skinner organ that you can find on the campus of Lake Erie College in Painesville, Ohio. If you enjoy our music, you can purchase Mark's CD online. And that just remains for me, your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, to thank you, our listeners. Thank you. <laughs>